1: Hello
2: everyone, Sakuyi here.
0: And I'm Gabby.
2: And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Welcome back, everyone, and oh boy, oh boy. I I really enjoyed the one that we did last week regarding the stuff for Japan because it was just extremely fun to record and do, and a lot of people really liked it.
0: Yeah. Also, remember how we said we were hosting a trip to Japan and you had enough time to sign up? Well, if you didn't, it is now full, unfortunately. Yeah. But if you are waitlisted or you're one of those people that were waitlisted to go on this trip, you will have first priority with our next trip, which may not be to Japan, but you guys get to pick where Exactly. We'll
2: put out some kind of survey in order to determine what happens. I did not expect any of this to happen. I I was told that it would take one to three months to get eight people and we got 24 people in a week.
0: And we needed to get way more than eight people. We needed to get 12 people because we didn't want it to be too expensive. So the only way we could bring down the cost was to Raise increase the minimum. Yeah, so our minimum was twelve, and I was literally sitting there like the first day, like nobody's gonna sign up for this. This is insane.
2: And then three people signed up, and we're like, okay, that's cool. Then we didn't get any other signups for a couple days after that, and then all of a sudden, boom! It just poured in on like the fifth day.
0: Which thank you guys so much. That actually means so much to me that you guys actually want to go somewhere with us and see the world. Like that's. That's huge.
2: And the more successful that these things are, like if we can actually get 24 people onto a trip, the plan is what I want to do is that I want to take whatever, some amount of money that is earned from the trip. And I want to use that to give free trips to people, like to you all, to the listeners, to the ones who are with us, because not everyone can
0: afford it. We can afford that. We were looking at some of these couples booking the trip, and we're like, uh, y'all are in a different tax bracket. Besties like, (laughs) I'm so happy for you but I cannot afford
2: it. No, it's it's one of those things that is is definitely amazing, but we will always try to drive down the cost as much as possible because we're not in this for the money. We're in this for the experience and we want to give more people these really fun experiences. So I know that we're detracting from this from the very beginning, but Which I just wanted to
0: thank you guys because that was
2: exactly that was so great. Exactly. And on that note, one of the other things that I thought I didn't know that this one was going to be as low on the rankings as it did of before, I think this was like number five or six in the list, but Egypt, Egypt is one of the ones that I genuinely thought was going to be up higher that people would be interested in. I and think I was, it's just
0: Egypt is so far. I like, I personally would love to go to Egypt, but I don't know if Japan like, is also far. I know, but it's just the Egypt trip was not even a week. The Egypt trip was two weeks. Yeah, You can take two weeks off of work to fly to the other side of the world. You need like two days recovery at that point.
2: It's true. It's true. And actually, it's on that note from this that um, because I saw a series of things that were happening pertaining to Egypt this week that I decided anyway to make this week's episode about Egypt itself. (laughs) See, I'm sure that uh, a number of you probably have already seen it. If you're listening to this as it comes out or I don't know if you're listening to this six months from now, and maybe this is all blown over well over by then. But uh, there's a new Netflix documentary called Cleopatra. Something that was made by uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, who is the, the wife of Will Smith. And it's a, quote, documentary about Cleopatra that is not going over well with the Internet, to say the least. What is
0: it with Netflix and all of these new, quote unquote, historical documentaries? Because have you seen Ancient Apocalypse?
2: Oh, my God.
0: Like Ancient Apocalypse. I've watched a lot of in-depth analyses of it, mainly Mini men's. Yeah, and it is it's something you guys like, are they just going, hey, you're a celebrity. People will watch you Um, make something up real quick.
2: Let's put you in front of a camera. Because and I'm sure that we'll draw enough attention if to you. That's
0: what they're doing. Like, I'm not a celebrity, but genuinely, y'all, I have so many conspiracies. I will be amazing.
2: And the one that this is going down and I, I think this is my favorite part. And I'm going to do a reaction video to the trailer to just talk about it and break it down. But uh, there, th- the whole statement on that, the argument is that Cleopatra was a African queen, like black sub-Saharan African.
0: Wasn't she Greek?
2: Greek. Yes. Very Greek. Like so Greek to the point that it's like inbred family reunion times a thousand Greek, which is that if, if any of that story of like incestuous relationships disturb you, I'm telling you right now, you are probably going to be deeply disturbed by this episode because we're not just talking about Egypt today. We're talking about the Ptolemies, one of the most famously inbred families to ever exist on the face of this earth.
0: I remember the Cleopatra and Mark Anthony Halloween special episode. And yeah, if that was just a little dip in the pool, like a drop in the pond, is that to say? Yeah. A drop in the pond to what he's about to drop on us.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So while I will be doing that uh, reaction video and going into it later this week, I will, however, go ahead and record this now to talk about the crazy dynasty that was the Ptolemies. But before we do that, we're going to need a little bit of uh, background into Egypt itself because I wanted to set the stage for you all to understand that we're talking about something massive. Gabby. You know how they talk about oh the 5th dynasty, the 8th dynasty, like the whatever number of dynasty. Do you have any idea how many, many dynasties there have been?
0: At least 5.
2: Yes. Well, I'm considering that I said the 5th and the 8th, and you're <laughs> right. There is indeed at I least 5. I wanted to pick an
0: answer that was 100% right.
2: Yes, you are you are right. There are at least 5 dynasties. The the answer is I think like 30 or 31. Like there have been over
1: 30 dynasties. They have in nothing Egypt.
0: on my Sims 4 generation save.
1: Wow. That's what you're going to draw back to?
0: Yeah, you were talking about dynasties. To
2: be fair, when we're talking about as messed up as some of these were, they probably could give your Sims game a run for its money. Or your Sims game could give that a run for its money. Do not
0: expose me on the internet (laughs) right now. How dare you? You
2: craft your own stories that <laughs> honestly would fit very well in the, t- in, uh, in the annals of history so when we're talking about this. I
0: listen to the podcast and then I go off of that for my Sims game. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yes. 100%. That makes total
2: sense. That makes complete and total sense here. So if we're going back into history and we're talking about Egypt, between 3100 BC and 332 BC, Egypt had been ruled by around 30 or 31 different dynasties. There are a lot of these. And they're classified in this period as either the Old, Middle, or New Kingdoms. That's all of this. But even then, it's way older than what we would usually anticipate uh, for what you would think about these, these kingdoms and the time periods that they, spa- uh, that they span. The first two dynasties in ancient Egypt would span around the years of 3100 BC when Menis, who was another guy who was known by the name of uh, Narmer, he went and he unified upper and lower egypt which had been separate kingdoms into one then this begins the time frame that we are talking about the old kingdom so between 2635 to around 2100 or so you have the 3rd to 6th dynasties of egypt which is the old kingdom and this when people think egypt and they think ancient egypt Old kingdom is typically what they're thinking about. This is the period that is a golden age. There's not many wars. This is all about building the build the big buildings for the pharaohs. This is where the pyramids come into play because the pyramids were not something that were built recently. That was very far away. There's the old adage. I'm going to interrupt
0: here and say, quote unquote, built.
2: Built. Yes. 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 Built, Gabby. (laughs) Yes. We're not going into ancient conspiracies.
0: No, but we will be going into ancient conspiracies on my podcast, Cryptidology. Going oh, yeah. to a platform near you. My so wife that,
2: is starting her own po- podcast so that, that that's going into the wild plug. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's that old adage about Cleopatra being uh like closer to the modern day than she was to the pyramids because that's true. Like the pyramids were built a stupidly long time ago, and then from the Sixth dynasty until the 10th, the pharaohs had start to lose more of their power and influence. Like the idea of Egypt as a centralized state started to become weaker and the country itself started to fall apart. And in this kind of dark period of Egyptian history, you had all different kinds of competing kings, political upheaval. A lot of stuff gets destroyed. And that's the end of the Golden Age. Then, of course, afterwards, you have the Middle Kingdom, which is like from the 21st century B.C., to, uh, let's see, what was it? I think it was going into around into like the 1600s or so, like 1600s BC. This is the middle kingdom period, which saw Egypt expand quite a bit and get a lot of different influence before they ran into a lot of trouble with the early bronze age civilizations. And then after that, you have the new kingdom, which was from 1551 until 1080. and that is that is the end of really Egypt when we're talking about things in terms of the big dynasties. Afterwards, there were more dynasties. You'd see like the 21st through the 31st dynasties that would come about from 1080 until 332. But the final dynasty of all of this was not Egyptian. It was not Nubian. It wasn't anything from around the surrounding area.
1: No. This was something that was first ended by the invasion of the Persians. And then subsequently, Egypt was, quote, liberated,
2: but subsequently then conquered by the Macedonians, the Greeks, Alexander the Great in 332 BC, which would start the time period in Egypt of the Greco-Roman era. Now, this is where our story truly begins, with the Greeks. And truthfully, I'm not sure why I have not done a podcast episode on Alexander the Great yet. You'd think that with everything we would have covered, that I would have definitely done Alexander the Great. But nope, we haven't. That is something that we are going to need to do because there is a, not just one story. there is a whole host of different stories that we can do under him. But his conquests would give way to the Greek world having control over Egypt, and that is where the Ptolemies would come about. Before we get into that, we're gonna have an ad break. Hey everyone, Sakuya here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat
1: and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you
2: do when the woman you love dies?
1: Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious.
2: Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre,
0: the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning
1: Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media.
2: And we're back. All right. So now this is where things start to get really messy as pretty much every time that a ruler dies in history, it it happens. This is what you will usually see, particularly in ancient history. So the sudden death of Alexander the Great, which occurred in 323 BC, was not exactly good for his empire. Uh, It brought a lot of chaos and confusion. He died without at this time having an actual heir or successor. Like, yes, his wife was pregnant and she would eventually give birth to a son, but they didn't know that this was going to be happening at the time so he left his empire behind to those who were strong or the best that was supposed to inherit his legacy
0: did he say specifically those who were strong or the best
2: well it was that it was left to the best because he didn't have a proper will but
0: did he choose who the best were so he just said this is going to the best of you yep and then everybody of course would want to be the best it's like if, if it's like if someone walked out and they're like okay the best amongst you will get a raise and a promotion.
1: And then the people that
0: don't get one
2: are like, wait a minute. That's not fair. I am great. I am the best. I deserve this. Obviously
0: everybody thinks they're the best. And as someone who was a leader of people for so long, very few actually are.
2: Oh, exactly. They're
0: all going to be like, I'm so good. No, you're not besties. Sit down. Love y'all. But
2: you got to think these are veteran commanders who had been with him since the beginning from Macedon. They had spent a good chunk of their life campaigning with him, conquering the known world. Of course, they're going to want pieces of the pie as their kind of reward. That's exactly what they're going to want. Now, some of these commanders did want to wait until his wife, Roxanne would give birth, which would then be, you know, Alexander's son, the future Alexander, the fourth, who ultimately would have a very short and kind of tragic life. But, Others were more keen on, from the beginning, uh, taking more self-serving focuses. They wanted to do things themselves. They wanted to divide the empire among themselves and rule it.
0: How did they think dividing the empire was going to make it better?
2: Well, they were dividing it in terms of... So it, it, this is where it's going to become a little bit difficult to kind of explain. There is a dual focus. Remember what we talked about before with China and how you had lords who were ruling things in the name of the emperor, but they were they were rulers unto themselves.
0: Yeah, and everyone was loyal to them and not loyal to the emperor.
2: So one of the initial ideas behind the division of the empire is that, yeah, they're dividing the land that is going to be ruled, but it's not being ruled. It's governed in the name of Alexander's heir, like while they sort out the empire. So the different commanders are taking over different plots of land to kind of rule In the name of Alexander, they are the successors. But then a bunch of them just ended up breaking away as their own kingdoms.
0: In theory, it sounded like a brilliant idea.
2: Oh, in theory, except in practice, it almost I don't think I can think of a single case in which it actually properly works. Because Because, you need a strong person behind them to unite at all.
0: Not just that, but if you're going to give people like direct rule over a region, you need something over that person. Like you need to hold their daughter or their son hostage. You hold their heir hostage in your kingdom. See, that's what I would have personally done.
2: There's a part of this that we're going to talk about that uh, because something like that kind of does happen, but it just, it does not work out for what they want. Did they they
0: say screw that heir and kill him? Let him get killed? There was
2: something that happened multiple times in history, but in this case, it's more like, um. Well, the person that was doing the watching ended up dying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that. So all this territory gets split up amongst Alexander's very loyal generals. You have Antigonus I, uh, Eumenes, Lysimachus, Antipater, and lastly, Ptolemy. So Ptolemy I, Soter, was a Macedonian nobleman, and he was someone who had been a childhood friend of Alexander. This guy was really important at the time. Like during all of his conquests, he was the official taster. He was the bodyguard. He might have even been a relative of Alexander the Great. He could have been an illegitimate son of Philip II, but we don't know. Philip II is, for anyone who's confused, that is Alexander's father. And after the king's death, he led the campaign to divide the empire among the different generals. And in the partition of Babylon, he received the prize that he had always wanted. Egypt, you had the Macedonian lands that were being split, you had the Seleucid, you had the the Ptolemaic with the Greek, there were a series of successor states, but the three big
1: ones were Macedon, the Seleucid, and Egypt under Ptolemy, those were the big three, but what he
2: wanted was not his ancestral land, he did not want the riches of the Far East, He wanted Egypt because he saw a massive amount of opportunity here. Here's the thing with Egypt. After years of being controlled by the Persians, the people of Egypt really wanted out. They did not like the Persians being in charge. And at the time of Alexander's conquest, they welcomed the Macedonians in. They loved him and his conquering army. The Persians had been pretty intolerant of the native beliefs, which is something that is very surprising because usually in history, the Persians were the ones that, were more tolerant. They were the ones who gave people a lot more regional autonomy and accepted people. But in this case, they they weren't, which could be one of the things that leads to their downfall. Alexander was way more tolerant of it, even embracing the gods of Egypt. Like he built temples to the Egyptian gods. He was drawing parallels between the Greek gods and the Egyptian gods. Like, um, I think my favorite part about that and how they would work the polytheism into it is a very simple thing. You know how in Greek myths, the gods had to fight the Titans, right? Like that was the big thing about the Greeks. So the story that he told is that when the gods were driven off Mount Olympus by the Titans in their great war, that they fled to Egypt and disguised themselves as animals so that they would be able to hide from the Titans before they could go back and reclaim their throne. The Egyptian gods have the bodies of people and the heads of animals. So he was drawing parallels and saying, no, 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 the Egyptian gods, those are the Greek gods. They're just in disguise. That was how he drew the parallels. It's, it's, it's a way more direct thing of what would happen with, um, we talked about it before that the conquistadors did in Mexico with taking the different Aztec gods and tearing down the temples and then building churches dedicated to a saint. On top of that, that is like, oh, this is a goddess of fertility. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the patron saint of childbirth. And, you know, putting putting that sort of thing up. But this is way more direct. And he would do things like that to ingratiate himself to the populace. It got to a point that Alexander the Great was viewed as himself a living God. Like he was an actual God made man, man made manifest. He was the Pharaoh.
0: That's genius.
2: Yes. He was, But he was also good. a
0: Nepo Baby.
2: Oh, absolutely. So I
0: don't know if I can fully support him.
2: Here's the thing. He got where he did initially because of nepotism. But what he did afterwards is genuinely very impressive.
0: Actually, that's an that's exactly what a lot of people were saying. You, you saw the Nepo Baby discourse on TikTok, yes. right? Where basically everyone was like, all of these actors have kids who are actors, but not all of the kids who are actors, even though given the opportunity, were able to be
1: successful successful. and great.
0: Which, have you seen, um, oh, you know that one soccer player? Gosh, I forgot his name, but there's this soccer player, and his mom was like uh, part of the Spice Girls, and he made a photography book. Oh. And it's the world's worst photography book. Like, when I tell you, he took a picture of an elephant, and you can't even see the elephant, and the caption of the photo in his published photography book was, Elephants are really hard to capture. So it just shows that, you know, I guess Alexander the Great deserved his credit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is this is what Alexander the Great does. And then Ptolemy
2: comes into this and he sees a huge amount of potential. There was massive amounts of wealth in Egypt. You have to remember that for an agricultural society, as most places on Earth were at this time, a place like Egypt, with its hugely fertile lands because of the Nile River, with easy borders to defend because it's surrounded by deserts on all sides and access to the Mediterranean for trade, Egypt historically has been one of the richest lands in the Western world, if you want to call it that. If you want to include it in it, it's, it's the gateway to everything and a huge, huge amount of wealth could be tapped from this. Now, unfortunately, though, while the partition would grant Egypt to Ptolemy, there were a number of different people that didn't trust him, didn't trust any of the commanders for that matter. Namely, was a man called Herticus, who was the self-appointed successor to Alexander that was going to try and keep his
1: empire together. But before we talk about him, we're going to have a little bit of an ad break. And we're back. All right. Now, Gam, you know how I said
2: that uh, there was a person who was going to be appointed over to kind of watch things in Egypt and really for all the others like they needed to watch and make sure they could try to keep the empire together. You're asking about it. Yep. Yeah. So Perdiccas is the guy who's trying to keep the empire together in the name of Alexander and is trying to then give it to his heir to Alexander IV. Now, the thing is, he gets a guy called Cleomenes who was named as the Egyptian finance minister by Alexander, who gets appointed by Perdiccas, then as the adjunct, the the person who is going to watch and help to manage Egypt along with Ptolemy. So when we say help to manage, this essentially means that he was going to be the spy on Ptolemy that was going to make sure that Ptolemy was not trying to just break free and become independent. But Ptolemy knew exactly what was happening here. So in order to free himself from the control of Cleomenes and from that Perticus, he accused the minister of, quote, fiscal maleficence, which considering the time and what people would do for ruling and all of the uh, well, I I remember the proper word uh, embezzlement and all the horrible things that, you know, people would do for managing money, which was a very common thing that rulers would do in history to just take money for themselves, especially when you're the treasury guy in charge of <laughs> managing all the gold.
0: Weren't rulers allowed to take everything for themselves? Like, they didn't have to be taxed.
2: Yeah, but when you're the adjunct, when you are the finance minister who's oh. overseeing all of it. Did they he, tax it,
0: their finance ministers?
2: Well, I mean, everyone got taxed. I mean, not necessarily everyone. It was mostly the common people that would get taxed. Exactly. And that's something that
0: So, if you're not getting taxed and you have a different law than everybody else, I'd help myself, too. You're yeah. kidding?
2: <laughs> well, in that scenario, you're going to end up like this, where he gets accused of these things and uh, then gets executed. So with Cleomenes then gone, this means that Ptolemy was able to rule the country by himself. There wasn't going to be anyone who was going to be watching over his shoulder. So he starts to firmly establish himself as the sole person that is in control of Egypt with his goal of being to make Egypt great again. He was going to make it. (laughs) Listen, the language of that is Okay, I know you're laughing right now, but that's the truth of it. Egypt had been in decline, effectively, for the previous, like, 700 years. But it was no... Stop laughing
1: at me.
0: Make Egypt great. Do you think they had red hats?
1: I don't even want to... (laughs) I can't even speak
2: right now because of this.
0: I'm sorry. You shouldn't have said it.
2: But that was the truth. It was the truth. It had been in decline for like six or seven hundred years at this point, and they really wanted to bring it back to its glory days. Right, right. You're not taking me seriously. I am taking this. you
0: so seriously right now. They're gonna make Egypt great again, Dave.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Short of it is he wanted to make it a powerful state again. But it wasn't something that he was going to be easy to do because Ptolemy, even though he wanted to focus more on his own internal affairs with the country, did end up getting stuck in the wars of the successors. These were the conflicts between the different successors of Alexander the Great over the different territories within the empire. Now, Ptolemy didn't necessarily care about this. He didn't want to be the big commander who was going to be in charge of everything of Alexander the Great's empire. He just really wanted Egypt. So although he didn't try to do much intentionally, if unintentionally he was going to be able to take land and just pretty much get it for free, then he was going to do that. Like he took Cyprus in 318 BC and in another opportunity, there was a Spartan leader called Thryban who had seized the city of Cyrene on the North African coast. And this was isolated, which in turn meant that he was able to waltz all over and just conquer it quickly. And at the time, Thrybon ends up getting executed by the populace, who are much happier to see Ptolemy come in. Unfortunately, Ptolemy really couldn't avoid getting involved with the other big commanders. He tried to avoid as much as he could, but it wasn't really going to work. He did give refuge to Seleucius, and later he would support Rhodes against invading forces of Demetrius the Besieger, who was one of the sons of Antigonus. It was something that he didn't want to do, but he was always going to kind of be there. And then on top of that, there was an ongoing rivalry that he had to do or deal with in the form of Perticus. Because Perdiccas, as we said, was still trying to control things in Egypt and the surrounding empire. And that hostility was not just going to go away. In fact, it was even worse when Ptolemy engaged in a little grave robbing. And I know I could see your face right now. The, the, the thing that he did is he stole Alexander the Great's body. How? Well, so when the body of Alexander the Great was being transported to a new tomb that was built in Macedon. He went and stole the body in order to bring it back to Egypt, because at Damascus, the body just disappeared. Ptolemy stole it and had it brought back to Memphis and then to Alexandria, where they had this big golden sarcophagus that would be displayed in the center of the city. Perdiccas was, to say the least, really, really pissed off. He was outraged by this. But even though Alexander the Great was dead, the fact is that since Ptolemy had Alexander's body, that was somehow this last vestige of legitimacy. He just he had it. It's like, oh, if you're going to be the successor to the king, you you have the king.
0: How did they keep bodies from being super disgusting and gross? It you mummified
2: good.
0: him. So Alex, wait, we don't know where Alexander the Great is buried because the guy stole him.
2: Well, no, that that's yeah, yeah. Every, the the whole body and everything ends up getting lost. No one really knows where it is that he's buried. It it yeah yeah. That's all, where all of this comes about. Otherwise, there would probably be some big tomb in Macedon and everything would just be prepared. But yeah, Alexander the Great's body just straight up disappeared. I wonder if
0: anybody got executed for letting this guy just steal him.
2: Oh, I'm sure that happened. Are you kidding me? You're talking about Perdicus probably would have had people put to death who were like the guards and whatnot, because this was one of the only means by which he had to legitimize his, quote, control of the empire. So with that gone, yeah, no, 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 that wasn't going to do anything. So, this occurs and it pisses off Perticus so much that things completely break down and would lead to outright war. This would lead to Perticus launching a series of military assaults. But after three attempts at getting across the Nile into Egypt, he lost over 2,000 men and his army just had enough of this shit, turned around and executed Perticus. So, all of the dreams of keeping the empire together. At that point, we're dead.
0: His own army executed. him. Oh, yeah. His
2: army turned on him and executed him. He was not a popular leader. It's it's not necessarily fair because all I really have when doing the research for this podcast are to go off the sources from what was presented. But a lot of the sources literally come from the successors, it comes from the Seleucids. It comes from Ptolemy and Ptolemy hated this guy, which means that everything that they say is going to be colored by that hatred because they're going to make him look as bad as possible. So we don't really know the exact accuracy of it. We just know the events as they occurred, not necessarily his reasoning or even as much for his personality because it was so
1: twisted by these stories. But yeah, his own army turns on him, executes him. They go home. It's it's done. Which that in turn would lead Ptolemy ruling Egypt For the remainder of his days until he would die in 282 BC. Which leads us to the beginning of the Ptolemaic dynasty. But before we get into that, we're going to need to do an ad break. And we're back. All right. So we've
2: talked about politics. We've talked about betrayal. We've talked about all these really cool things. Now, Gabby, are you ready for it to start to get into the more creepy territory? Yes. All right. When
0: you say creepy, like oh, we're talking cryptids.
2: No, oh. as in uh, the beginning guy that we're going to be talking about here, the son of Ptolemy the first. Allow me to introduce you to Ptolemy the second, Philadelphus, meaning sister loving.
0: I remember that guy. I you, remember that guy. You remember huh? that guy? Didn't we talk about?
2: I think I talked about it at one point for like some shorts or other stuff that we were doing back when we talked about Cleopatra a while back, but I don't think we've ever done it for a podcast. If we have, I might have just forgotten about okay. it.
0: Let's hear about Mr. Sister Lovin.
2: Yeah. So this guy, this this younger Ptolemy had served as co-regent with his father since 285. And after that, Ptolemy would marry the daughter of the Thracian regent, Lysimachus, and this was Arsino, I believe is how I would say the name. Arsinoe the first. So for the purpose of an alliance, after the death of his first wife, Lysimachus went and married Arsino the second, who was the daughter of Ptolemy the first and his mistress, Bernice or Berenice, There's going to be a lot of intermarriage and you're going to hear me say Antigonus the first, Antigonus the II, second, Antigonus the third, Ptolemy the first, second, third. You're going to hear a lot of the exact same name over and over and over again, just with a number past it, because out of the three dynasties that we're talking about, you're going to hear only like five names repeated 12
1: times. I'm not even kidding with this.
0: I love that for them. How do they even keep anybody straight? Like, imagine you're talking about like your great granddad and is the same as your granddad and of your son.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, you just got to remember the number that goes off after it. The numbers are what's important, Mason. (laughs) The numbers, what do they mean? (laughs) And in this case, it means um, the probable amount of familiar relations that you slept with before producing that air.
0: Well, you could just have a name like Sister Lovin to help sort them out. Sister Lovin, sister, sister Lovin. Yeah, sister, sister, sister
2: Lovin. Interestingly, the reason why we have to say the number is because the remember how. Ptolemy the first was Ptolemy the first Soter. Yeah. Soter means I think like savior. And there was two other Ptolemies that also had Soter. Imagine you
0: go from Savior to Sister Loving. Oh my. No, literally, (laughs) they went Ptolemy the first. The the second one. I would be embarrassed. I'd be ashamed, honey.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So all of this stuff was done in order to secure an alliance. That's why all of these marriages would occur. The so Lysimachus had chosen to marry Arsinoe II, who was the daughter of Ptolemy I and Berenice, around 300 BC. That was a marriage, though, that would not end well, because we don't exactly know why, but it is possible that it was to secure the throne of Thrace for her own son. Arsinoe II managed to convince her husband to have his eldest son killed which was the son that he had from his first marriage. And he was the heir. All of this being on charges of treason that were more than likely completely fake. And because he did so in order to name the children that he would have with Arsenal II as his, you know, heirs, the murder of his eldest son, who was a really popular young commander, then led to an uproar among all the different officers in the military. So after the death of Lysimachus, Ptolemy would then marry his sister, Arsinoe II, who was the king's widow. Yeah.
0: His sister was the king's widow. Did remember, I hear that right? Yes. Sorry, this is like really hard to follow. Yes,
2: and it's going to be. This is going to get really confusing. So for anyone that's getting, I need like a flow chart is in order a to show chart? this.
0: Can we just put that up on... um? On website, We maybe? probably can
2: on the website or Patreon or any of the number of things. So that just shows the relations. So the gist of it is that Arsenault was another child of Ptolemy I, right? It was his sister. Arsenault was married to Lysimachus in order to secure an alliance. When Lysimachus died, Ptolemy II took her, she was the widow of this former alliance, and married her, even though she was his sister. But her heirs would have claims Onto the throne that Lysimachus occupied, so it was a double way of keeping control within the family. The sister lover, remember, his name was the sister lover. So
0: they weren't even doing this for like money; they were just doing it to keep the family line in control.
2: Control and pure and we're did they have get... to consummate? Or yes. They have oh just my been god! Like... Yes.
0: And they were cool with it. They're, yes. they're... Was this normal for? Regular people in the empire, or was it just the royal family?
2: No, here's the thing. This is what confuses a lot of people. While familial relations are somewhat common for nobility to marry throughout history, usually it's relegated to cousins. There are certain places in the world where it is way more common to marry close blood relations. Egypt is one of those. The tradition of marrying your sister is not a Greek tradition. It was an Egyptian tradition that was occupied or that was uh, accepted by these Greek rulers and they did so in order to keep the line pure because they were believed to have divine blood I know, like but directly I'm talking from the about gods.
0: The common people.
2: Oh, it was not common among common people. That, yeah, all. that's
0: what I was wondering, because were the common people? You know how we watched the royal family and we're like, wow, this is wild. Do you think everybody who was in that kingdom were just looking at them like, wow, this is wild. No,
2: there's no reason for the blood of a farmer to be kept pure. But when your blood is that of the gods themselves. Yeah, that was the idea not only would you keep more control over the family and the situation in the first place, so the property doesn't get divided or claimed by enemy kingdoms, but simultaneously you're keeping the religious aspect clean in the most filthy way possible.
0: Well, to them, it wasn't filthy if they thought that it was, you know, a godly thing. So that,
2: that's exactly why it was they tied did what to religion. They had to do. The Zoroastrians had a similar thing. Um, like in Iran, uh, you saw this among the Egyptians. There the were Europeans. Again, it no, not typically in the form of like brother sister. Well, yeah, not brother
0: sister. Maybe like cousins, close cousins. They would have
2: cousins among nobility, but again, that's nobility all over the world. Would keep to that. There are significantly fewer ones in history that are no, where they're direct blood siblings. Not even like half blood siblings. We're talking full blood brother sister. I know I can see your face right now here. That's that's what they would do. And, I'm just
0: thinking about having to live with your sibling for the rest of your life. All right,
2: I want you to think about this for a second, because I know that we could talk about this. Ramses the Are you familiar with that pharaoh? Really I've famous one? I've heard of
0: him because I think he was in that one movie with Cleopatra. Was he not?
2: No, you're, he was the guy who is the pharaoh from like the Bible with, oh, the, no. with the Hebrew or like with the Jews.
0: No, I don't know and that so, one.
2: OK, so he is the guy who had been in charge there at the time. And that's what they would say he had 180 children.
0: Well, good for him. A very prolific ruler.
2: One of his sons would marry his sister, but you would have like a hundred something sisters to choose from. he
0: was the one during the plagues? Yes. So then why was he sad when his firstborn son died in that one plague? You know, the blood over the door?
2: A lot of it gets, there isn't really mentioned in Egyptian history of stuff like that happening.
0: Also, my big question Is in theory, the Egyptians were just watching all of these plagues happen, right? Like they were insane plagues, bro. And nobody was like, we should we should dip out. We should skedaddle like they stuck around to see what would happen next. I'd have been out of there. I'd been like running. You know -hmm. what I'm saying?
2: Oh, no, exactly.
0: Like personally, I just don't know. I don't know. You know?
2: No, no, I do know what you mean. Then that's why history gets really, really murky. The further back in history you go, the mercury becomes because so many things have been destroyed that we just really don't know about. We're still discovering stories and things of what happened at different points now because.
0: So there's no blood river record in history or the locusts? There's I, lots of locusts. There,
2: there have been numerous cases of documented plagues and other things like that occurring. If I recall correctly, I think when someone was some kind of biblical scholar was showing how there was a time where there may have been a volcanic eruption or something that had occurred further up the Nile that could have changed the color of the river temporarily.
0: Okay, but here's my thing. Not even so volcano, like
2: earthquake, Ramses,
0: my boy Ramsey's, has 180 children. Yes. Okay. With, I'm assuming different women, because one woman, yes. 180, right, okay. So, you know how it was the firstborn A number of child which were his sisters. or firstborn son? Was it the firstborn child of the king, or was it like the dad, or was it the firstborn child of the wife? So then, did he lose just one son, or would he have theoretically lost Every that is person. an amazing question and
2: I have no idea
0: how to begin to answer that. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna, I got to go to church. I'm to be like, listen, please explain. Yeah. Cause now I need to know that's going to actually keep me up at night. <laughs> Wait, we can make a reel. And that would be like the podcast promo for this week. And you, we have a lot of religious like pastors who follow us. And one of them will probably have an explanation because I sure. need to know. I
1: would appreciate that. that and if that would you be... guys
0: know the answer, email us. All right. You guys know where to find the email. It's on the website.
1: So the, we, we
2: diverged off topic a little bit to talk about Ramses the second. But uh, in this case, Ptolemy the second does marry his sister. And th- there are a number of children that, you know, you'd have with um, with 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 your family. I don't even know where to begin when I'm explaining this kind of thing here, because I don't want to go into too much detail for very obvious reasons. But he didn't necessarily do anything crazy. He was overall a pretty good leader, with the exception of what we would describe in terms of morality with what he did with his sister. Unlike a lot of the successors that would come after him, Ptolemy would expand Egypt. He would reclaim Cyrene. Um, he would acquire different things in Asia Minor and Syria. He fought in two different wars, the Syrian wars against Antiochus, the and, and Antiochus the And then he would marry his daughter, Berenice, to Antiochus the in Egypt, he would establish trading posts all along the Red Sea. He would complete construction of the Pharos, which the Pharos is that's the other name for the uh the the light, not the library, the lighthouse of Alexandria, like one of the most famous buildings to ever exist in the world that was done at this time period. And so despite his quirkiness and his. um Sister relations, he was still considered to actually be a pretty good and strong ruler. He was like he was a decent ruler. The unfortunate thing for the Ptolemies is that that is pretty much the only one that they would have for several hundred years after.
0: Okay, so you know how people are thinking? They uh, theorize that Nero went insane because of the lead pipes in Rome, right? And just yes. all of those rulers. Um, we know the effects of inbreeding. Yes. And, and the lack of genetic were. variation. So do you think the reason why they couldn't have decent rulers after a, a while is because of the impact? Yes. On the individual's development? Yes. And intelligence?
2: Yes. yes. Okay. You started to see more impact on their intelligence, decision making. Uh, one of the things that you see was, is hyper aggression as well. They, were, they would be hostile and make enemies within their own court for people that would turn against them.
0: I he mean very honestly if you're in a place of power I think that would also just be trust issues. Oh yeah. But if Cleopatra was as beautiful as people say she was but she was inbred into oblivion um was she actually beautiful?
2: So that is a very interesting question and the answer to it is that she probably wasn't as pretty as what the stories say but simultaneously that when it comes to the game of like of inbreeding which i hate to say the game of inbreeding but genetically speaking everything is a chance right like you're the one that from that that comes from a background in biology it doesn't guarantee every time that you're going to get a specific disease or something is going to
1: happen no but it greatly but increases it greatly- your chances
0: and i think after a certain point you're just unable to continue that cycle because sure. you can also have issues where with- reproduce like you can't successfully reproduce.
2: Yes. And it will also largely at that point depend upon the health issues of the family.
0: Also, any health issues would get passed down so quickly that they could theoretically breed themselves out of existence because you do need that level of variation to kind of guarantee that. Okay. So, say I was a carrier or something, and then I married a sibling that is also then it's guaranteed to pass Correct. down to the exactly. kids almost. It's almost guaranteed. So, you definitely want to find somebody without that to kind of mix it up a little bit so people have a better chance of survival.
2: Agreed, yes, Uh, yes. Now, you have to remember at this point that because you could be the carrier of that, if the family didn't necessarily carry as many things as, say, for example, the Habsburgs or others did where they were like hemophiliacs, then while they were probably prone to having some kind of health issues, it wouldn't matter nearly as much for Cleopatra because, unfortunately for her, she didn't live all that long.
0: And whose fault is that, Mark Anthony? What a, what a guy. You know, she finally took it out of the family and look what happened. That is exactly <laughs> what. Oh,
2: my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Gabby making the case for historical incest. I'm
0: just saying it worked for them for so long. She went and changed it up and look what happened. I'm just saying.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: Like, I'm not saying I support it, but I'm saying I understand why they did what they did.
2: Worked, huh? Well, we're going to explain in here why it kind of didn't also as well, because if you've seen the infighting and inbreeding of what has occurred in Game of Thrones, like with the Targaryens and others, uh, th- they draw some really serious inspiration from places like the Ptolemies and the Haps. In fact, I believe I remember that the, the inspiration for the Targaryens was a combination between the Byzantines Like the convoluted Byzantine backstabbing in politics and the Ptolemies within breeding, if I remember correctly. And if that tells you anything, it's that the story after this is going to get really, really messy and we're going to move
0: forward from this
2: in kind of rapid fire. We're
0: literally 45 minutes in and (laughs) we're not even halfway through. This is such a good episode.
2: I know. But before that, we're going to have an ad break and we're back. All right. So talking about. Families and the destruction and everything that would come after. Remember, as I said, uh, the, the Egypt would not exactly have many good rulers after Ptolemy the Second. A lot of the people who would follow after them would completely fail to strengthen Egypt, whether it was internally and politically or whether externally with outside wars, jealousy, infighting, backstabbing, literal backstabbing in assassination or in politics, very very common. Uh, on the death of his father in 246 B.C., Ptolemy III, the Eurogetes, Uro- Eurogentes, I-, I can't even remember how I would pronounce that. It-, it basically means benefactor. He came to the throne and he married Berenice II from the Greek city of Cyrene. And among their six children were then Ptolemy IV and a princess who was also named Berenice. Again, you're gonna- you're going to see a lot of that. But when that princess suddenly died, that brought about something called the Canopus Decree, which among other different proclamations would honor this girl as a goddess. And and there's actually a funny little detail about all of this that I remember looking into. And that is that, you know, how uh, our modern calendar has 365 days plus, you know, the additional day every four years as a is a leap year. Sure. OK, yeah, that was something that w- didn't exist at this time. But was put in as a proposal from this decree. Like they they knew about it. It didn't actually happen, but they did it. And I I know this is really cool because going back into the ancient Egyptian calendar, they knew there was 365 days in the year, which is why what they did was they had 12 30 day months and then they had a five day mini month at the end of the year. There was like a week long period of celebration.
0: I love that. Let's go back to that.
2: Which was really cool. But the problem That's was like a
0: five day vacation and then we just make it like they can't be like oh you're not gonna get this time off
2: yeah the issue came though that because they didn't account for anything with a leap year and egypt has such a long massive history i can't even remember the amount of time because i did the math on it once i remember looking into it and doing the math on this once it's like every thousand something years or 1800 years uh it would end up completely reversing when the seasons were supposed to be. That because doesn't it would matter, it. though,
0: because they would never have to worry about that. They'd be long dead. Yeah. So that new generation would just think, this is the norm, it's winter, and so, you know what I'm saying? Like they, How would they know?
2: Well, I mean, they didn't it was in the desert, so it's more like when the rainy seasons and other things were, they're trying to keep track of it, and it, you'd have things that would be in the different, because it was like Hedit, Shemu, and I can't remember the other one, but it's like you had literally planting season, uh, harvest season and flooding season, and it's like th- those were the three. That's what you had.
1: Anyway, we're, we're, I'm we're talking go about track. calendars in this topic. I'm going way off topic now. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So
2: th- that does not end up actually getting adopted. But in 246, Ptolemy the third then goes and invades Syria in order to support his sister's husband, Antiochus the second, in the third Syrian War against Seleucus. But he doesn't really get much from this. He only manages to acquire some towns in Syria as well as Asia Minor. His successor and son, Ptolemy IV, then comes to the Egyptian throne in 221 B.C. And in keeping with the family
1: tradition, he goes and marries his sister, the III, in 217 B.C. Yes, again. Wait, does
0: that say father-loving?
2: Yes, father-loving. but. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are it it doesn't mean what you think it means there, Gabby. In this case, it's more like the um, the love of familial love, like respect for the father.
0: With this family, nobody really knows. There there are no lines.
2: Yeah, the lines are very blurred blurred in here. You're completely right about that. Remember that one
0: controversial song? That's this whole thing. Oh,
2: boy. So he marries his sister. And he does have some success in the fourth Syrian war against Antiochus the but it doesn't really do much. And he has no other real accomplishments or anything um, at all over the course of his reign. And then he and his wife both get murdered in a palace coup in 205 BC. What would follow them is Ptolemy the fifth. And he was the son of Ptolemy the fourth and Arsinoe the third. Due to the sudden death of his parents, he inherited the throne as a small child. And we all know how child rulers go over the course of history. He marries the Seleucid princess Cleopatra I in 193 BC. Now, this is not the Cleopatra that we are thinking of. Remember how we're talking about Arsinoe, Ptolemy, uh, Berenice, and Cleopatra. These are names that you're going to hear time and time again with numbers after them because there are a lot of them. Unfortunately, war and revolt by the Seleucid and Macedonian kings, they had hoped to seize Egyptian lands following his ascension, because, you know, again, he was just a child. But following the Battle of Panium in 200 BC, Egypt then loses a lot of its valuable territory in the Aegean and across Asia Minor, including Palestine. It gets drastically reduced. Then, in 206 BC, in the Egyptian city of Thebes, revolts break out, and it would lose control like egypt would lose control of this very key city for about 20 years it was a sharp decline in actual egyptian
1: control at that point so he dies and then ptolemy the fifth successor can you guess what the name is who is the successor to ptolemy the fifth
0: ptolemy the sixth there
2: you go that is the, that is literally the trend that you're like, going to be is seeing.
0: this a trick question i really had to think about i it. know
2: i know right <laughs> So Ptolemy the sixth then takes over, and his nickname on here was Philometor, mother loving. But it doesn't mean what you're thinking. I can see your face. No, it doesn't mean that he was in a relationship with his mother.
0: It means he was a mama's boy.
2: No, literally, it was because unlike what happened oh, with his really father, oh, they really call
0: him a mother's boy. I'm yeah.
2: His mother would serve essentially as regent and control things um, until her unexpected death in 176.
0: This is giving that one Hakim, that soccer player who put all of his assets in his mom's name. So when his wife tried to get a divorce, she couldn't get anything because it all belonged to his mom. Like this is giving that energy.
2: Oh, yeah. And uh, despite having a bunch of trouble with his brother, who was the future Ptolemy Eighth, he would marry his sister again as the trend goes, Cleopatra II, and start his rule which does not go well at all. Egypt gets invaded twice by Antiochus IV. Uh, His army even got close to seizing the city of Alexandria itself. But with the assistance of Rome, Ptolemy VI does manage to gain some control back of Egypt. But then during his reign, ruling with his brother and wife, it was full of unrest and just did not go well for him at all. In 163 BC, his brother and himself finally reached a compromise where Ptolemy VI would rule Egypt, while Ptolemy VIII would go over and rule the city of Cyrene. And in 145 BC, he would then die in battle in Syria. Now, you would think after this with Ptolemy VI, and this is where a trick question could, should come into play, so I should have asked this, you would think that what we would see afterwards is Ptolemy VII. But we have no detail whatsoever about Ptolemy seventh. Like, we just have nothing that we can confirm.
0: So he probably didn't exist.
2: Or if he did, his reign was so brief that it doesn't really matter. Like, he had no actual control. The one who ends up taking charge, and I'm sure there had to have been a Ptolemy seventh, even if we don't really have proper records of it, the one who takes over is Ptolemy eighth, which would imply, again, that there was a seventh. Like, there should be. We just don't have any record of Maybe
0: it. Maybe Ptolemy eighth killed his brother, Ptolemy seventh.
2: Could have been, literally on the day of. That happened many times in history. That very well could be.
0: You're joking.
2: No, no. You remember when we talked about the Ottomans and what they would do to their siblings, how there was a literal purge of brothers every single succession where potentially hundreds of boys down to like newborn children would be
1: strangled? Yeah, I know. You're blinking your eyes at me right now, but they would do that.
0: I love that for them. What was the point of having them?
2: As insurance. For what? So that there would always be an heir.
0: So you have hundreds? Yes. As insurance? Yes. You don't need that much insurance, bro.
2: Uh, you'd be surprised with how many people died in history. But yeah, no, you're right. You definitely don't need that many. But they Maybe did like it to guarantee a good 20, the system. 20
0: still overkill. But if you really wanted to be sure. Oh,
2: there was definitely overkilling. All right. That was definitely something <laughs> that occurred.
0: <laughs>
2: that was a bad joke based off a lot of fratricide and death in history. Retricide, for anyone who doesn't know, is when you kill your brother, of which there was a lot in the Ottoman Empire. And also, in this case, in the Egyptian state under the Ptolemies, there was a lot of brother murdering, too. So, Ptolemy VIII takes over, right? He marries his brother's widow, which is his sister,
1: Cleopatra II, only to then replace her with her own daughter, his niece, Cleopatra III.
0: So he divorced her. He
2: divorced his sister to marry his niece.
0: At least he's branching out. At least he's branching out. Um, he
2: divorced his wife to marry her daughter, who is also was his sister and then his niece. This
0: is giving some, that one uh, Hollywood dude who married his wife's daughter. You know who I'm, I don't remember his name. I don't remember what that you're referring definitely to definitely happened though.
2: But you see what I'm talking about with like Game of Thrones Targaryen vibes right here, Yeah, right? 100%. Like yeah, back. yeah. There's They really
0: drew from history.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, it's do you messy. think
0: he was like, "Oh, you're kind of annoying, but your daughter, she doesn't talk too much."
2: I, <laughs> I don't even know how to process that here. <laughs> but all right,
0: like family reunions, you should better make all of the like women wear veils. Wait, you
2: mean the dating dating site?
0: Please, the Egyptian <laughs> dating site, just the family. Like, <laughs> what is it? Uh. The ancestry family, re-
2: family reunion <laughs> this is the matchmakers heaven. <laughs> so what follows after this is that civil war breaks out and this lasts from 132 until 124 BC. And it devastates the city of Alexandria, which is the capital because the people in it at this point, they, they may have loved the Ptolemies in the beginning. They do not love them anymore at all. They hate Ptolemy the eighth and This really was not an uncommon thing because the Ptolemies were Greek. They were very firmly Greek. They only bred Greek. They everything was Greek. Alexandria was ran in Greek. They didn't speak the
1: Egyptian language. They never did anything. They were pure Greek everything. That was the language of culture. Because they ruled it, they were in control. I'd be so pissed off. Well, that's what happened with a lot of the common people. The common people didn't like them.
2: At first, you know, 150 years ago, they or 100, no, 200 years ago. At that point, they loved when Alexander the Great came in and freed everything. And that was awesome. But now it's just been a slow decline into incest and decadence ever since. Like, that's 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 just what followed. So the people did not like these Greeks that were in charge of them. And that's that's just how it was. So this ended up um, creating a lot of problems. There was a lot of persecution. People got expo- expelled from the city. And then finally, though, they have some degree of amnesty that happens in 118 B.C. And then Ptolemy kicks the bucket and dies. He gets succeeded by his eldest son, Ptolemy IX, Solter, which again. Yep,
0: yeah, there it
2: is. There's a savior. It took
0: so long for it to circle back to savior. <laughs> which
2: he had another interesting name here because he may have been called savior. But his other other nickname in there was. Uh which is like chickpea
0: like chickpea chickpea like chickpea like, like you know garbanzo beans chickpea, yeah like
2: chickpea exactly exactly you know this is exactly it yeah i mean if you gotta think caligula is dark and sadistic and twisted that man was his nickname literally just meant little boot because he would march around as a soldier with you know the soldiers when he was like a toddler like a kid so he had little tiny sandals oh, that's and that's why so his nickname cute. was caligula yeah, and then he grew up to be a twisted, demented madman. But as a kid, he was really cute and loved by the soldiers. The soldiers loved him. He was really popular with them because he was raised with the military camps.
0: The lad really got to them, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah, among other things, among other <laughs> things. And like his previous ancestors, uh, this successor would also then marry two of his sisters, Leopatra IV, who was the mother of berenice the 4th and also cleopatra the 5th who would give him two sons
0: so he was also allowed to have multiple wives
2: yeah that, that, that's a thing that they would also do is marry multiple people they would have concubines and stuff um he would rule jointly with his mother cleopatra the 3rd until 107 where he was actually overthrown by his brother and then had to flee but then he did regain the throne in 88 bc and would rule until his death in 80 BC. Now, we have sped run through a lot of this, but you can see by now that this is a massive incestuous mess with a lot of backstabbing and war. This is not exactly something that would build a very strong state, but there was a very strong state that wanted in on the action. Rome. And this is
0: where they started to branch out, right? And
2: this is where they start to branch out. But before we get into that, we're going to have an ad break. And we're back. All right. So a little bit more speed running through this because we're not quite at the level that we want to be. Ptolemy X, Alexander, was the younger brother of Ptolemy the IX, and he had served as the governor of Cyprus until his mother brought him to Egypt in 107. Then he replaced his brother. In 101 BC, he supposedly murdered his mother, Cleopatra IV. He then married the daughter of Cleopatra V, who was his niece, Berenice III. Again, we're, we're not even talking about family trees at this point. This is just a circle. You know what this is? this is? This is a helix. This is a helix DNA tree, except it's also looping back in on itself. This is an Ouroboros. It's like a the,
0: Venn diagram?
2: Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's like if a Venn diagram and a helix DNA uh, chart.
0: Well, as you know, it, the DNA spirals like this, that's the overlap. And then you have the circles on each side of the family members that aren't married to each other. Yeah, So I'll draw it later. Don't worry. I'll explain. And then I'll upload that with all the other sources. Oh, great. That's
2: going to be beautiful to look at as we imagine the horrors of what went on within this family.
0: You guys better go to the website once this episode airs and um, tell me how great my artwork is. Thank you.
2: Yeah. So this is the guy who had been he was the one who expelled the previous guy and took him over before he came back. Uh, He did get expelled in 88 BC when his brother came back and took the throne only to end up getting lost at sea and disappearing so no one really knew what happened to him he was succeeded briefly by his youngest son Ptolemy the 11th Alexander the 2nd yeah we're adding double names onto this here because that's exactly what happens um and after awarding egypt and cyprus to rome Ptolemy the 11th was then placed on the throne by the roman general Cornelius Sulla who then ruled jointly with his stepmother Cleopatra Bernice, until he murdered her yeah again that that happens a lot in this he then himself gets murdered by the people of alexandria does not go over well he is followed by ptolemy the 12th uh neos dionysos also known as alutes who was the another son of ptolemy the 11th and succeeded ptolemy the 11th in 80 bc he married his sister also called cleopatra but in this case cleopatra Tryphina. unfortunately his relationship with Rome, since they were dependent upon Rome in order, to be sur- to, in order to survive and maintain power at this time, the people of Alexandria hated this and had him expelled in 58 BC, only to then regain the throne again with the assistance of the Syrian governor, Gabinius, and was then only able to remain in power because he would bribe different officials and Roman generals and whatnot in order to support him in his position. By this time, Egypt was a state that the only way it was able to exist was through its dependency upon the Roman Senate. It was a client state in basically every capacity, where the rulers of it had to bribe officials within Rome
1: in order to be allowed to rule the land that they were supposed to be in charge of. It was not a good situation for them at all. Which brings us to really the beginning of the end. The next pharaoh. Ptolemy
2: Thirteenth was the brother and the husband of the very famous or infamous, however you want to talk about it, Cleopatra Seventh. And this is the Cleopatra that we are talking about. This is the famous one. His time on the throne was very short-lived. He had joined in an unsuccessful civil war to try and take back the throne with his sister, Arsenault. Uh, They both had chosen to oppose Julius Caesar and Cleopatra in a fight for the throne. And while initially they had tried to gain favor with Caesar by killing the Roman general Pompey, who had tried to get refuge in Egypt after the civil war between Pompey and Caesar, Caesar wanted to kill Pompey himself and saw this whole thing as an insult that Ptolemy would dare to kill Pompey when he couldn't do it. So he ended up declaring war on him and taking everything over and putting Cleopatra in charge. Arsinoe ends up later getting taken back to Rome in chains, and it's, it's a whole mess. But, 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 all of this occurs with Cleopatra the seventh. So, to finish off this podcast here at the end, even though it's this is not a short end, this is the end. And I know we've been going on for a while, but we need to tell the story of Cleopatra the seventh because she deserves more attention than any of these guys, these sister marrying degenerates from before. I mean, she's. By this logic, a brother marrying degenerate, but she did that but because he she technically had
0: to. married her. Well, they got married because then isn't that what Rome wanted? They wanted them to share the throne.
2: No, this in this case was an Egyptian law. I mean, the Rome kind of forced it afterwards in order to keep stability, but this was an Egyptian tradition. So we will, um, we're going to explain that in order to talk about Cleopatra, which was Cleopatra the seventh, but we're just going to call her Cleopatra because this is what everyone knows her as. Is just Cleopatra. She is the woman who would reign in Egypt and become one of the most famous and powerful women throughout all of history. And this is how she did it.
0: So is this kind of a recap of that one Cleopatra episode?
2: Sort 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 of. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go into this cuz I know we covered Cleopatra itself before. Um so we're going to kind of speed run through this for anyone who has not listened or heard to anything that we talked about before. This is a little bit more uh uh detail about that. Okay. So. So, Cleopatra the 7th Gets born in 69 BC and she jointly rules with her father, Ptolemy the 12th. When she is 18 years old, her father dies, leaving her the throne. But because Egyptian tradition holds that a woman needs a male consort in order to reign, her 12 year old brother, Ptolemy the 13th, gets married to her. But Cleopatra wants nothing to do with this. She wants to control everything herself. And so she drops his name over time from all official documents and rules alone by herself, which hisses him off. Mind you, the Ptolemies at this point in history were Greek. They were pure 100% Greek. That is what they were. The Ptolemies insisted that the Macedonian Greek people were superior and that they were ruling in Egypt by the will of the gods. And they did not need to learn the Egyptian language, its customs, it's anything. This was a Greek land. That was the language of culture, law, and rulers. Cleopatra, though, ingratiated herself into the populace by learning Egyptian. She was fluent in Egyptian. She was fluent in Greek. She was proficient in a number of other languages, to the point that when dignitaries came to see her, she did not need a translator. She was skilled. She was a remarkably good orator. And shortly after assuming the throne, she just stopped getting advice from her advisors altogether. She just did not consult them with anything when it came to matters of what was going to be done in the state. And that's a sign of strength for her. But it's also one of the big weaknesses that she had that pissed people off because her habit of making decisions and acting on them without consulting anyone would really upset a number of high ranking officials.
1: And it, it really helped to turn people against her. But despite this, she did have a lot of achievements.
2: But then also in spite of those achievements, her court was not pleased with how independent she was from them. So in 48 BC, her chief advisor by the name of Phyllis, along with another guy by the name of Theodotus of Chios and the general Achilles, they overthrew her and placed Ptolemy III on the throne, believing that this kid that they were putting in charge was going to be a lot easier to control than his sister, which actually, at this point, it's 48 BC, so no longer a child, really, but you you get what I mean. He was going to rule things now. At this same time, there was this Roman general and politician, Pompey the Great, the guy that we talked about earlier, that was defeated by Julius Caesar at the Battle of Pharsalus, which I love the Battle of Pharsalus. I did that for, uh, I I recreated that battle using Rome to Total War for a class that I did in college, still one of the best projects that I ever did in my life. I love that. Um, Anyway, anyway, I'm I'm getting off topic from that. He defeats him at Pharsalus. Pompey had done a lot of groundwork in Egypt before securing things within the state. Like he was one of the big guys who had helped to support and stabilize the state. So he thought that he had a lot of friends in Egypt and that was where he could go to, you know, rebuild his forces and have a base of operations. Yeah, he shows up and Ptolemy the third, uh, under the advice of his advisors, are like, yeah, no, uh, this guy has lost the war. Uh, we don't want to make an enemy of Rome. We want to make friends with Rome. We're gonna kill him. So he goes to Egypt, thinking that he's gonna find friends, and his friends then turn around and murder him, cut off his head, and present that back to Caesar.
0: And this is why we don't make friends. Write that down. Write that down. In oh, in
2: ancient politics, that is pretty much the case. Yeah, friends are not people that are very easy to rely on because a lot of them will end up betraying you in the future as history gets really, really
1: messy. So Caesar's army comes in, is absolutely infuriated.
0: Infuriated? 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 I don't know. You said infuriated. <laughs> no, no. Caesar's
2: army come, comes in. They are inferior, but they are absolutely infuriated. They are pissed off. Well, Caesar is the one that's really pissed off by this. Like it's not necessarily fair to say his army was the army was just pretty much following the order of Caesar. Like he was the guy who was in charge of all of this. So
1: Caesar is outraged by Ptolemy killing Pompey and ends up taking him, sends
2: the ruler back to Alexandria in chains, basically, and just has control of all this. Cleopatra was still in exile during this time and knew that there was no way that she could simply get back to the palace and take things over again because there was a foreign army in here. Her brother still had some degree of control. She needed to get in and get some help in order to take things back. So seeing that Caesar was going to be a good opportunity to take power again, she is, per the story, said to have smuggled herself in inside of the palace, inside of a rug as a gift for the Roman general, and
1: then gets carried through enemy lines and meets him. Instantly, Caesar is like, damn, I love this girl. And
2: that's that's pretty much what happens. They immediately become lovers. And mind you, mind you, she is still married to her brother, told me the 13th at this time. So when Ptolemy the 13th shows up the next morning in order to meet with Caesar, he finds the two
1: of them.
0: That's gotta be a little bit scarring. It's your sister wife in bed with Caesar. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. And he is. Oh, not even, I say
0: sister wife, but it's your wife's sister.
1: Yeah. I don't know how
0: you'd even say that.
2: Also co-ruler and queen and sister and lover and everything. Yeah. Which mind you, he had been fighting before and had her exiled, but still, it's a very, very big insult at this point. So Ptolemy me the 13th outraged, then turns to his general Achilles for support and war breaks out in Alexandria between Caesar's legion and the Egyptian forces. Caesar and Cleopatra are besieged in the royal palace for six months until Roman reinforcements arrive and are able to break the Egyptian lines at this time, though. A lot of things happen uh, like apparently it is during this period that the great library at Alexandria was accidentally burned down, but we don't know. That's just one of the stories that is said to have happened during this. And then before the Roman victory over Ptolemy the 13th is secured. Cleopatra's half sister. Remember that girl who had been exiled with her from the beginning? Like when she was kicked out. Yes. Yeah. Um, familial betrayal is still something that was very common. She actually turns around and betrays Cleopatra, flipping over to the other side, siding with Achilles' camp, and has herself proclaimed as queen in Cleopatra's place. Ptolemy the Thirteenth then drowns in the Nile, attempting to escape after the battle, and the other leaders in the coup against Cleopatra just get killed either then or shortly afterwards. Arsinoe is captured, made the horrible decision at the last second to switch side. But luckily, luckily, she gets spared.
0: I know sort how it of. ends for her, though.
2: Yeah, she sort of gets spared at the insistence of Caesar. Her life is spared and gets exiled to the temple of Artemis at Ephesus, where she would remain until 41 BC, where Cleopatra would have Mark Antony kill her,
0: which was super uncool because she wasn't supposed to. They're, they're not supposed to kill people in the oh, temple. Oh no!
2: Huge, huge violation of religious law. So this whole
0: thing is like nobody actually cares about the rules. They just do what they want.
2: Oh, yeah. So Cleopatra was now the sole ruler. But before we tell her story for the end and how it all ends, we're going to have an ad break here real quick. Okay. Cleopatra, sole ruler. Here she goes she travels through egypt with caesar in big style they are they are the king and queen of egypt but she's not he's not actually the king of egypt but is pretty much treated as that she is the one who is in charge by the grace of rome and is live in large at this point she gives birth to a son ptolemy caesar then known by the name caesarion in june of 47 bc this happens and he is proclaimed as her heir. Caesar himself was perfectly happy with Cleopatra ruling Egypt, as the two of them just really liked each other. Like they weren't just lovers out of a matter of um, like strategic convenience. They genuinely really liked each other, and he loved her intelligence. In 46 BC, Caesar returns back to Rome, and because you know he misses his girl brings Cleopatra back along with her son and the entire entourage of like the whole Egyptian court of what he would want to live there. He openly acknowledges to the public that Caesarion is his son, though not his heir, not, not the person who would inherit his legacy because there still were some rules in Rome that he would have to live by and that Cleopatra was his consort,
1: which is a big problem. Why? Bigamy is illegal in Rome. You couldn't have a concert or
2: a second wife.
0: Why didn't he just divorce his wife? Wife,
2: I uh, couldn't. It's familial dynasty. Very big and important. To do so would be to shame the entire family and lose a lot of standing in Rome.
0: Can you imagine you're married to this dude? You have his kid. He goes away to war or whatever, and he comes back married with a... Oh, man. He wouldn't live to tell the tale. I'd be... Oh, I'm getting heated for it. Oh, like, no, so it's,
2: this is a massive scandal. Caesar was already married to a woman called Calpurnia at this time, and Roman laws against bigamy were very strictly adhered to. And many members of the Senate, anyone who would use an opportunity to try and take Caesar down a peg, they were furious with this. Now, Cleopatra was a very skilled orator. She was very diplomatic, but she could not do anything to stop Rome from really turning against her. They were outraged by this. There's even a letter in here that I found that comes from a uh, Cicero, who wrote this in 45 BC, quote, "I detest the queen. For all the presents she promises were things of a learned kind, and consistent with my character, such as I could proclaim on the housetops. And the insolence of the queen herself when she was living in Caesar's trans-Tiberine villa, the recollection of it is painful to me. Essentially, it doesn't matter how many gifts she gives. Her mere existence here is an insult to dignity.
0: Understandable. That's kind of messed up. Like, yeah. I want to be like a woman supporting woman here, but that's kind of messed up. She's breaking the girl code, first of all. Yeah. And
2: whatever Cicero or anyone else thought of Cleopatra or, you know, her relationship to Caesar or anyone else in Rome, it didn't matter to them, though. They continued to appear in public. They continued to do everything that they wanted to do as a couple, though they would try to give a little bit of a lower, you know, profile.
1: They didn't try to do as much openly as they would. But they still were not trying to hide anything necessarily until Caesar dies, which changes everything. Because Caesar dies. He gets assassinated in forty four BC.
2: And mind you, that letter talking about the queen and everything, that was forty five BC. So a year later, Caesar is dead, and Cleopatra is now in enemy territory with all these people that hate her and no one to back her. So she flees Rome and returns back to Alexandria, and Caesar's right-hand man, Mark Antony, joins with his grandnephew Octavian and his friend Lepidus in order to pursue and try and defeat the conspirators that had murdered Caesar. After the Battle of Philippi, at which the forces of Antony and Octavian defeated those of Brutus and Cassius, Antony then emerges as the ruler of the eastern provinces, including Egypt, while Octavian holds the west, and this would secure their power base. Cleopatra needs help. She knows this. So in 41 BC, Cleopatra gets summoned to appear before Antony in Tarsus in order to answer charges that she had given aid to Brutus and Cassius. Cleopatra tried to delay this as much as she possibly could. She delayed in complying with any of Antony's summons, making it clear that while she may have been accused of a number of things, she was still the queen of Egypt, and she would do what she wanted when she wanted. She had power. All of this was a mind game. Egypt, of course, was not in a strong position. It was ready to collapse at this point. It had severe economic stress. There were all kinds of issues politically. But she had to give the impression
1: of strength. So she appears before him as a true sovereign should decked out to the nines. This is that famous story that
2: we talked about. What she did is like she shows up on this barge covered in gold, all the flutes and dancers and everything went around her. And she appears dressed as Aphrodite. She is decked to the nines in here. And Mark Anthony immediately falls in love with her. He's just mind blown. Yeah, no, total simp, absolute total simp move. But hey, she knew exactly what to do, and she and Antony instantly become lovers and would remain so all the way for the next 10 years. And she would give him three children, Leopatra, Cere- uh, Selene II, Alexander Helios, and Ptolemy Philadelphus.
1: So mind you, Cleopatra had been married to her brother. She was not married, but long-term relationship with Caesar and now Mark Antony. She's gone
2: through men of power that she is doing whatever she can to maintain as good of control as possible. You know what the funny part about all this is, though? What? Remember we talked about with uh, Caesar having been still legally married when he was with Cleopatra?
1: Yes. Same deal with Mark Antony. And this is where it's even more messed up than Caesar. So, (laughs) Mark Antony considered Cleopatra to be his wife, even though he
2: was married to Fulvia and then to Octavia. Octavia was the sister of Octavian, the guy who was the heir of Caesar and was in control of half of Rome. Antony would divorce Octavia in order to marry Cleopatra legally and this would really, really, really piss off Octavian because that was the thing that would secure their alliance. During these years, Antony's relationship with Octavian would gradually disintegrate and fall apart. He was outraged by Antony's behavior, especially with the disrespect that was shown to his sister by divorcing her, throwing away everything. He repeatedly would rebuke Antony and, at least
1: in one instance, would just outright directly say to him, hey, what the hell are you doing? You are being stupid.
2: To which Anthony would respond, yeah, so what? What does it matter? Uh, like, there's literally a letter where he puts like, yeah, uh, what, do you, what do you care? What do you care about what women I sleep with? You can bring whatever woman you want to bed with you. This is my wife. This is what I'm doing. It's really funny, actually, how it all goes down. But it's just these standoffishness
1: of it. He was so in love with Cleopatra, he threw away everything for her, which does not go well. Octavian did not appreciate anything that Antony was doing, and all of this ends up
2: breaking out into war, which Mark Antony's forces would be defeated in at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, and a year later, Cleopatra and him would both commit suicide. Antony, upon hearing the false report of Cleopatra's death, would stab himself, but would then later learn that she was actually alive and have himself be brought to the queen where he would die in her arms. Cleopatra was then told that she had to submit to Rome, asked for time, and then subsequently killed herself so that she wouldn't be captured. The same thing did not apply to her children, though. Her children would be captured. Uh, They would actually be taken back to Rome in chains and end up being raised by, I believe, I can't even remember the name of it was. I know, did I put it in my notes? I don't know if I put it into my notes. There it was, yes. Octavian's children were taken, or not Octavian's children, Cleopatra's children were taken back to Rome where they were raised by Octavia. (laughs) The woman that... (laughs) I can't even say this right now. It's Octavia, the woman that Mark Anthony had left in the first place, divorced in order to marry Cleopatra. Cleopatra's children then get taken back to Rome in
1: chains to be raised by her. So that happens. Caesarion, though, Cleopatra's heir, the son of Caesar. Yeah,
2: he gets murdered.
0: Of course.
2: Because there could be no challenge to Octavian's throne. He would be in charge of everything. So ended one of the most famously inbred dynasties in history, and also within Egypt itself. That was the end of the Ptolemies. I can say this that at least in the end, there was somewhat of a decent ruler. Uh, Yeah, everything was kind of horrible for Egypt at the time, but Cleopatra VII, the lady we know as Cleopatra, was remarkably strong. The unfortunate thing is that she had a terrible amount of misfortune and kind of bad decision-making in the end for who it is that she would choose to side with, but she
1: was still a strong and amazing ruler. It's just the Ptolemies. My God, the Ptolemies were an absolute mess, which I hope that
2: this podcast today has shown you, and I really hope that you enjoyed listening to it. I really hope that you did learn of something today and uh, understand just how deeply convoluted, incestuous, and messy the entire thing was, and I hope that entertained you. Everyone, thank you very much for listening. This has been the History of Everything podcast with Sakui and Gabby. I appreciate all of you and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.